Okay, for our first message today, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Mark McGarvey, and it is entitled, You Are Called. Good afternoon. Good to see you all here today. Okay. Oh, you're right. It's not all the way over. Any better? There we go. All right. Yeah, as I was saying, it's good to see you all here on this uh, beautiful Sabbath day, on this Memorial Weekend. So, um, I'd like to start by asking a question for those of you sitting here, um, the younger ones, and those of you watching online, is God calling you? For those of us who have gone under the waters of baptism, we probably remember when this question was asked of us. Um, For those who are new in the faith, for someone who is looking for a spiritual transformation in his or her life, For someone who has a lot of questions about and for God can ask themselves this question, is God calling me? The process of being called uh, by God is a fundamental key of one's transformation. Millennia ago, God set in motion his plan for the world and humankind. And he wants you and me to be a part of that plan. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16, one of the most famous passages in the Bible. And it's true. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago on a mission. He was to live for 33 years a sinless life. He never sinned. He was to die for us, for our sins, and after three days be raised from the dead. I believe that with all my heart, with all my soul, Jesus Christ is my Savior. And I thank Him in prayer for calling me and for all that He has done in my life. Now, my own personal uh, situation I was born into um, the church, Worldwide Church of God, back in the 70s, early 70s. And uh, I guess my my dad had first heard, it's a funny story actually, my dad um, dad was born in 1940, and my parents are both Irish. And he said in 1958, he remembers hearing Garner Ted on radio, Radio Luxembourg, which is what it used to be broadcast over there in Britain and Europe. And... He thought, you know, it was interesting uh, bit of radio he heard for a few minutes. Um, then, ten years later, they were living in, in England, 1968 or something, he said, and uh, he started receiving the, the plain truth and doing the, the Bible correspondence course. And they came into the church like 71 or 72. So, I was born into the church, Worldwide Church of God, raised in it. But, you know, it, it's a sad fact, I guess, back in the day, because there was no 
although they had uh, YES lessons and they had a good program for that, there was, there was nothing for teenagers as they got older in the church. There was nothing to drive them, to give them hope for, for them as they were at that time. And, and, and unfortunately, um, back in Britain, a lot of my friends and people my age, their goal was to leave the church when they got to an age, whether it be 16, like one of my brothers, 18. And, and I didn't leave the church, but I, I started, I don't know what you want to call it, not really being there in, in, in heart and mind to, to, to fully grasp everything and, and believe and everything. And then the changes happened in the mid-90s, and that really threw everything up in the air for a lot of us young people. But fast forward a few years, I got married, emigrated here. Um, and 2008, I was 34 years of age. And I guess late spring, early summer, God started to call me as it were. I'd been in the church all those years, I'd grown up in the church, but I don't believe I was properly called, as it were. But he started to reveal things to me, like he set off that spark that he does, and I started getting a, a thirst for knowledge, starting to get, wanted to really understand more about God's Word. I wanted to read as much as I could and really start getting into things. Um, and then, all that summer, we got together, both myself and Dala, and you know, spoke with Mr. Welch over at United, and, and he talked with us several times. And, uh, and then on September 25th, 2008, we were both baptized on the same day. September 25th, 2008, I'll never forget it. Good day. So, you can be called at 15, you, be, you can be called at 85. It's not up to us. God decides that. There was a guy um, in the Worldwide Church guy back in the 1980s in Britain. Um, he was a former SAS guy, um, which is the Special Forces in Britain, equivalent to Navy SEALs, I guess. You know, I guess it would be close or Green Berets. Um, and he used to run the SEP setup and takedown at camp every year, had done for 20-something years. Um, but he had killed people with his bare hands. He'd shot and killed people in his special services, in service to his country. I met him a couple of times, uh, John, I, I forget what his last name was now, but, but God called him. He was called after he'd left the service, I believe, but uh, this was a man who had a past, but God was looking at his future. This man can help me, can help my work, and he sure did with SCP for many, many years. God works in mysterious ways, as the saying goes. There was an um, interesting commentary I heard about a month ago. I'm sure you've heard of uh, Todd Starnes, does a radio commentary uh, every day. And this one I heard a few weeks ago, back in April, um, about a uh, single mom somewhere out east, I believe. She was a waitress. And she was praying, needed a miracle in her life. Times were hard and things were tough. Uh, a man comes into the restaurant where she works, and he specifically asks for a single mom waitress. And this lady is called up, and she serves him his meal. Um, the bill for his meal was $20, and he left her a $1,500 tip. God works in mysterious ways. 
Stan said. It's true. She needed a miracle in her life. She needed something. She was praying. God answered it in that way. So you see, um, I want to go to a, a, few potential, a few powerful verses that Paul wrote, which really explain what our calling is about. I'm going to start off with my first one here in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Book of Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Begin here in uh, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the, the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. I'm reading from the New King James Version, by the way. Sorry, Brian, I should have mentioned that to you. So you see, Paul is saying that God predestined each and every one of us. For whom, for whom he foreknew, which means to know beforehand, you are called for a reason. There is a reason why you're sitting here, here today, watching online. God's gifts of grace and salvation are being given to you. You are called because God loves you. You are called because you're a part of his plan. You are called because God wants each and every one of us to be part of his family, the God family. As Paul said, we are going to be glorified one day. We have a crown waiting for us. As human beings, we are... God has given us free will, our independence, the ability to, uh, you know, for us to make decisions at our own discretion. Not everyone who hears God's calling, unfortunately, chooses to follow him. As Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. You can find that in Matthew 7 and verses 13 and 14. But you can live your entire life, you know, 70 or 80 years and never have an interest or a feeling to, to know God. But all he has to do is, as I said, give you that spark. And then it's, bing, start asking questions. Who is God? You know, why am I here? What happens when I die? The narrow is the gate passage is a sobering reminder of how God is testing us in this present age. We need to lead the best Christian life we can here now, at this time, by being an example to others, by shining our light. He is always testing us to see if we have the right character to represent him, to speak for him testing us to see if we can be worthy to be called a faithful, true servant. 
this road is not easy, but then nobody said it would be. Right now, here in May 2016, we find ourselves defending our values, our principles. And our First Amendment rights are under attack. We're called bigots and Neanderthals if we don't accept the transgender issue. Um, we hate women if we're against abortion, pro-life. Those on the West Coast and the East Coast that think that down here in the South we're all, we all cling to our Bibles and our guns. Well, whatever. I know one thing. I don't care what they say. They can say whatever they want about me. God is number one in my life. And they can't do a thing about it. Not a thing. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know? God is number one in my life, and they can't do a thing about it. And that's that. With Pentecost just a couple of weeks ago away, away now, it's interesting to look back at um, how God gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles on that day of Pentecost, almost 2,000 years ago. These were the, the early church leader, leaders after Christ's death, and Peter was the, the main leader amongst them. Um, they had been with Jesus three and a half years. They had interacted with the Son of God, and they were carrying on his work, as they should, and as, God, as Jesus had instructed them. No doubt, from time to time, they, you know, they had moments of weakness. Um, they would question themselves, I'm sure. They were being watched by the Roman authorities and the temple authorities, and were seen as troublemakers. By giving them the Holy Spirit in such a dramatic, miraculous way, would give them that resilience, that ability to defend the cause and proclaim the gospel, even to death. So, with that in mind, let's have a look at one of those scriptures, which goes into this uh, in Acts chapter 2 and verses uh, 1 through 4, initially. Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. Acts 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there's an interesting thing here with the, the, the tongues of fire because as, as my uh, New King James Study Bible points out here in this little... Let me read this thing for you because it, it's, it's interesting the, the reason for this. Um, in verse 3, there appeared to them <coughs> divided tongues as of fire. Quote, After the great crowd-gathering sound of verse 2 came the visual manifestation of God. Fire often indicated the presence of God. God initially appeared to Moses in a burning bush that was not consumed. Exodus chapter 3. God guided the children of Israel with a pillar of fire by night. Exodus 
chapters 13, verses 21-22, and, and he descended before them in fire on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, verse 18. God sent fire to consume Elijah's offering on Mount Carmel, that's in 1 Kings 18.38. And he used a vision of fire to warn Ezekiel of his coming judgment. Ezekiel uh, chapter 1 verses 26 and verse 27. But the people at this scene, whether it was in a, a, a large room as, as, as we believe, or as some have suggested, um, it could have been in an aerial area of the temple if there was a, a lot of people there who, the actual apostles who given it and those who witnessed it. If, if there were hundreds of people there, they couldn't all fit in a room, a large room, but um, it's just speculation. Um, but then the people who then heard the disciples speaking in different languages thought, oh, they must be drunk or something. Well, let's look forward to a few verses, to verses 14 and 15, same chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, but Peter... Standing up with the, uh, the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. And then skip forward a few verses to verse 22. Verse 22, Peter still speaking here. Men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter is telling these people how it is. You are all responsible for the death of Jesus. But he also acknowledges that the Messiah, the Son of God, who walked among them for three and a half years, had to die. Because it was part of God's eternal plan. Likewise, we need to see that the Father allowed the Son to sacrifice himself for us. He lived, he lived a life, but then gave it up for us. He was in the, three, the tomb for three days and three nights and was raised up for us. So, as we think about Pentecost... And are reminded that we are to be thankful for the harvesting that God does now of being called his first fruits. We also need to be thankful, honestly, by getting down on your knees and praying to him. Thank you for calling me, God. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter what we've done in our past, if we repent, Ask for God's mercy and forgiveness, he will grant it. Look what happened to Paul. And 
you know, he was a tremendous persecutor of the early church, of the early Christians. And um, he may have been there at, uh, when Stephen was stoned to death, holding the cloak of, of someone who participated in that. His mission at that time, as he was called Saul, before he, his name was changed, was to hunt down those Christians, persecute them, and do as much damage as he could. But then one day, as he was traveling up to Damascus to uh, persecute the Christians up there, God blinded him. He fell off his horse. And uh, Jesus spoke to him personally. He said, why are you doing this to me? Why are you persecuting me? And not every conversion is dramatic as that. One of the more dramatic conversions in the ninth chapter of Acts. But God had decided that this was a man who, although he was misdirected, he was a zealot, he was misdirected in his belief that the Christians were wrong and were bad people. But Paul had a, had a strength of character, a strength of will, this was someone that God could use. And so he, um, you know, he, he let that conversion happen. And, and Paul became one of the greatest writers of the, of the you know, second half of the Bible. If it wasn't for Paul, most of the books of the New Testament wouldn't be there. I mean, this guy was prolific. Tremendous writer. Tremendous speaker, I imagine, at the time. I mean, just unbelievable, man, what he did for the truth. So... When God grants forgiveness, we can then put away the old you, you know? You're transforming into the new you. And God will open your mind to his glorious truth. After that full immersion in the watery grave, we can awaken refreshed and renewed ready to take on the world with the whole armor of God. So, let me look at my, look at this last scripture here. I've got as uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. And actually, Steve used this, this passage last week, but it's, it's right up my alley for what I wanted to talk about today, and this really fits into my message. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, and verses 14 through 18. We begin here in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. No, there's nothing about a, a rapture. This is when Jesus Christ returns. When God returns, we will be right there with him. The Holy Bible gives us a glimpse of what is to come in the future. 
the prospect of what will happen to us is almost too much to fathom. We will become spirit beings one day. We will become one with God the Father and Jesus Christ, his Son. We will become members of the God family and will live for eternity. God is calling you. God has called you. Read the wonderful words of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, which are recorded for us in this Bible. Read them. And let us all pray, thy kingdom come.